Welcome back to another Adam Schefter podcast, the Hall of Fame edition, literally, of the Adam Schefter podcast, as we will be joined today by two men being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this upcoming weekend. Our first guest will be the man who spent nine years with the Dallas Cowboys, three with the Denver Broncos, earning nine Pro Bowl selections and seven All-Pro honors. The great DeMarcus Ware will be with us to share his memories of winding up in Dallas, how he got there, winning a Super Bowl with the Broncos, and being the all-around Hall of Fame person that he is. And then we will be joined by the number three overall pick in the 2007 NFL Draft, a man who went on to become one of the greatest left tackles in NFL history, Joe Thomas. Spent all 11 years of his career with the Browns, a 10-time Pro Bowl selection, an 8-time All-Pro selection, and remarkably never missed a start or an offensive snap over the course of his 11-year NFL career. Started each of his career 167 games and amassed an NFL record 10,363 consecutive snaps Without going out of the game, he was voted into the Hall of Fame in his first year of eligibility and will be inducted this weekend. And the speaking order in Canton this weekend is Zach Thomas first, Ken Riley, DeMarcus Ware, Joe Klecko, Chuck Howley, Darrell Rivas, Don Coriel, Rondé Barber, and Joe Thomas. And being that DeMarcus Ware is in front of Joe Thomas this upcoming weekend, He's going to go first on this podcast. But before we get to that, on last week's podcast, we had the new owner of the Washington Commanders, Josh Harris. And for anybody who missed it, anybody who's curious to hear, it's there here on ESPN Podcasts, on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Go back and listen to Josh Harris. And what's interesting to me is that when I spent some time in Detroit this summer and visited Chicago, The one question that I was asked more than any other, oddly enough, was, is my team trading for Chase Young of the Washington Commanders? When I was in Detroit, Lions fans wanted to know if they were trading for Chase Young. When I was in Chicago, Bears fans wanted to know, are we trading for Chase Young? I don't mean to break the hearts of Lions and Bears fans, but this summer, the Commanders are not trading Chase Young. For all the talk and all the speculation and all the wishes that there are about teams acquiring him, Washington is focused on moving ahead with its current cast of players. Now, if the season goes south, and if they're struggling, and if at the trade deadline they're 2-5, and and the season's going nowhere, could something happen then? Sure, possibly. But the fact of the matter is, Washington's not looking right now to move on from the number two overall pick in the draft, despite the fact that it didn't pick up his fifth-year option. They want Chase Young to be there right now. Now, we'll see how the season shakes out. But going into the season, not trading Chase Young. So we could drop that question from the list of questions that seemingly regularly come up. And I also noticed that sometimes when you tweet, people say, announce Chase Young to the Bears. Announce Chase Young to the Lions. We're not going to announce Chase Young to anywhere other than the Washington Commanders at this time because it certainly doesn't seem like the Commanders have any plans to move on from him. The other topic of conversation over the course of the past week and weeks 
has been the landscape of the running back position in the NFL. Now, as we record this early Tuesday morning, we have a mess on our hands in Indianapolis with Jonathan Taylor. Who knows where that's going to go? The Colts have basically told him that we're not giving you a new contract. That's according to their owner, Jim Irsay. And they're not looking to trade him. Now, if you're not willing to pay him and you're not willing to trade him, then they just wanted to play this year and the last year of his contract, and he doesn't want to do that, and he's unhappy about it. And it's just created a really difficult, challenging situation for all sides involved. I don't know how this gets worked out. But Jonathan Taylor clearly would be valued by another team. But it's hard to imagine that another team would give up any picks that Indianapolis would ask for if the Colts were even willing to trade him, which Jim Mercy says they're not, and pay Jonathan Taylor because that's part of the issue to this whole situation. You'd have to compensate the Colts, compensate Jonathan Taylor, and compensate a running back at a time where running backs are not getting compensated. Just think about all we saw this summer. Joe Mixon essentially was forced to take a pay cut in Cincinnati. Saquon Barkley caved and reported to training camp before drills got even underway and signed the one-year franchise tender one week after he turned down $23 million guaranteed and didn't leave him in a good spot, didn't even procure the promise that the Giants wouldn't tag him after the season. We saw Ezekiel Elliott get released by the Dallas Cowboys. Austin Eckler requested a trade himself, much like Jonathan Taylor, and there wasn't any team out there that was willing to compensate both Eckler and the Chargers. That's the type of situation that we're looking at with Jonathan Taylor, even though he is a younger back. Aaron Jones took a pay cut in Green Bay. Josh Jacobs couldn't get a deal done with the Raiders or anybody, and now is on that one-year deal if and when he ever signs that franchise tender. And we saw Dalvin Cook be released. Now, as we record this on Tuesday morning, Ezekiel Elliott is a free agent. Dalvin Cook is a free agent. But I would imagine maybe by the time you even hear this podcast, one or both of those players has found a new home. But the state of the running back position is such that that position has been so devalued and it has been so hard on those players. And I feel bad for them because so much is asked for them on the field on game day and they are so important to their teams on game day. But on the other days... We've fallen into a pattern here where players are not being compensated, they're not getting what they want, and Jonathan Taylor now becomes the latest example of an offseason that's gone way wrong for the running back position with no solutions in sight, though we will continue to track the developments in Indianapolis and see where it takes Jonathan Taylor. All right, now in my career, I've written five books, and the one book that I felt was really motivational and inspirational, more so than any of the others, was a book called The Class of Football. And what The Class of Football was, was essentially taking the speeches of each player inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame and boiling down their words to a meaningful message on the day that they were inducted. Because at that moment, when these players stepped to that podium, They are highly emotional, highly inspired, and really paying tribute to all the people that left lasting lessons on their lives. 
And so you get some incredible inspirational messages, some messages of great motivation. And I always thought it would be really cool to have those words collected in a book. And that's what I did in this book called The Class of Football. Now, it never sold very well, and I'll never make any more money on the book, and that's fine. But I still think it's a great book for young people to read, to see how many setbacks there are along the way, to see what people have to overcome on the way to their successes, to see the challenges that are in the path of even the men that get elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And that's one of the things I love listening to on these speeches when the players are inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame every year. Every year you learn something. And those are the messages I tried to put in that book. And those are the messages we'll hear this upcoming weekend on Saturday when there are more inductees into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And before they even spoke, we wanted to sit down with DeMarcus Ware and Joe Thomas and hear some of their thoughts about going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And so we will. We will start with the great DeMarcus Ware. Yo. There he is. What is up, man? DeMarcus. We, we can always find a spot to talk, baby. <laughs> hey, listen. You know what? I was reaching out to you, and I'm like, I had a tough time getting in touch. And I'm like, it shouldn't be this hard to connect with my guy. No. If you text if you text a call, if you sit right here and say, hey, look, give me 10 just call or text. Now you say Zoom, I got to set up for the Zoom now because all you're going to get that cell phone Zoom when I'm real dark. I don't, I don't like the dark, okay? <laughs> well, I told you, I said I would take 15 minutes of your time in your very busy week where you are about to go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And so we're going to start the clock right now, DeMarcus. Boom. And I, and I want to go back to 2005. I am in Radio City, music hall and the dallas cowboys use the 11th overall pick on a relatively unknown pass rusher ahead of sean merriman who goes to the chargers with the next pick ahead of some quarterback from cal who goes 13 picks later to the green bay packers a guy by the name of aaron Rodgers, demarcus yeah. where goes number 11 to the dallas cowboys how is it that you're out of the league and being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and Aaron Rodgers from your draft class is still going to markets. You know what, quarterbacks, I can add probably about four or five years on these quarterbacks now, especially, you know, seeing Peyton play for, I think, 18, and, you know, Brady playing for, let's say, at least 20. Aaron at least told himself that he needs to play at least 17 or 18 himself, right? <laughs> So the quarterbacks can play a long time. And when you play that defensive end pass rush position, have to go against Orlando Pace and, you know, Flozell and Joe Thomas, you're not going to be in the league that long. So, uh, again, that 2005 draft class was amazing, man. And, and like I said, they took a chance on me on that 11 pick, and I didn't let them down. And I believe it was Bill Parcells who had the man crush on you, DeMarcus. Mm -hmm. I believe it was he who believed in you, right? You know, you, you know it. Bill Parcells had the man crush on me after eight games when I started balling <laughs> out. Now, Gary Jones was the one that wanted me because Bill Parcells wanted uh, Sean Merriman. Oh, really? Yes, yes. They had a bet, actually, uh, on that. So, yeah, yeah, so... What, wait, what, what, what was the bet? Give me some of the backstory here. Yeah, so, so there, there was a dollar bet um, that they had that if I don't average in the, like three or four years, eight sacks... I'm a bust, right? Because Bill Parcells wanted Sean Merriman. 
Bill Parcell says, hey, if the markets does not average eight sacks to three, three or four years, I get your jet and my significant other can travel anywhere that we want to for a whole year. Then Jerry Jones writes on a little piece of paper and slides it to him and say, wow. okay, well, then if the markets where averages eight or more sacks in those three or four years, I can get my jet and your significant other without you. And we can go wherever we want to go for a whole year. But it was so cool. It's so funny. I, you know, Jerry Jones won that bit. I actually have that dollar in my uh, in my office. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I do. But it, it was a cool thing, man. And Jerry Jones, um, you know, took a chance on me. But also, it's one of those things where that's why I wanted him as my presenter, too. What because does that mean to you? What, what, what does that mean? Because, by the way, before we even get to that in a moment, I'm just thinking how surprised I am that Bill Parcells let Jerry Jones shop for the groceries ahead of him and pick you, DeMarcus. That's listen, amazing to me. Listen, that was that was totally different. I'm, I remember Brady James um, having Jerry Jones, a, a conversation with Jerry Jones that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He said they were asking me about you when you played against, you know, LSU at the time when Marcus Spears were there and they needed an outside linebacker. And so Brady helped me by vouching for me and saying, hey, that guy was an animal. He gave, um, you know, Whitworth a lot of troubles over there. And Marcus wow. said the same thing on his visit, which was cool wow. before I even got there. And I mean, the day I supposed to go on my visit, they say, hey, we already found our guy. And I'm like, dang, man, they, I guess they're going to draft, you know, Sean Merriman, but it ended up being me. So, so why Jerry Jones as your presenter? Um, when someone takes a chance on you and give you an opportunity, I mean, I could have went at 12, San Diego. I could have went later on because there were some phenomenal players in my draft class for him to bring me in and sort of blanket me to help me through my whole career all the way to this day. If I call him, he answers. If I need a meeting with him, he, you know, opens up that door for me. Hmm. Him being in the hall of fame and him saying, Hey, you started here with the Dallas Cowboys. And now the biggest moment of my career, he gets to call my name one more time. I think that's one of the coolest moments for him because Jerry Jones doesn't get emotional. And when he announced that to me, uh, when I made the Hall of Fame, you know, the um, the knock, when he did that, when yeah. I saw yeah, 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 yeah. When I saw that, it was like his son going into the Hall of Fame. Like, I'm not kidding. Like it was one of those things where I'm like, man, that really meant a lot to him. There was a big hug exchange. Like you could see the emotion yeah. in that hug yeah. when he came in and delivered the news to you yeah. that you were going to be a part of this Hall of Fame class, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and it was the emotion. Usually, I'm talking about Jerry is so stark, man. I mean, he, he's always just straight up. He he smiles. Okay, cool. But I got to see like family. You know, when you hug somebody that you feel like there's family, that's what I felt. And I, I felt that when I first got in, but I really, mm -hmm. that, I felt that. And I was like, you know what? There's no question why he shouldn't be my presenter. Well, let me ask this question to Marcus. You spent nine years in Dallas before playing three with Denver. What was it like for Dallas to release you mm -hmm. and you hear from them that they were moving on. 
Did Jerry give you that news? Did it come yeah, another way? What yeah, stands Jerry, out about that? Jerry gave me that news. It was it was really hard because I prayed that night. You know, you give a team nine years in all your blood, sweat, and tears. You being on the field halfway paralyzed. You coming back, helping win against the Saints. Hmm. You give them all that. You lay it all out there on the field, and they say we don't have enough for you. And I'm like, there, there's no way. I gave y'all. I, I have given y'all everything. And to go into Jerry Jones's office. And for him to say, Demarcus, we still have one year under, you know, your contract. We can keep you here. And you know what? At the tail end, you won't be able to get this big money that you deserve. Hmm. I don't have it. I know I don't have it. And he said, I'm talking about this is like a man-to-man talk. I want for you to go out. I'm going to release you. I want for you to go out and test the market. I already know that I probably can't, you know, give you what another team can give you, but Please just do do this one thing for me. Don't play for the NFC East. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for him, for him to say, I'm gonna release you when yeah. he didn't have to, I can give you not playing for the NFC East. I, I can I can give you that for you releasing me and letting me, you know, take my career somewhere else to win a championship, right? And putting all the the all the other things aside and saying is this is a business transaction that we have to take. Yeah. And that led you to Denver, where you did get to win a Super Bowl yeah. in 2015. Mm-hmm. What stands out about your time with the Broncos, DeMarcus? I think the the emotional roller coaster that we went through, but we kept one model of iron sharpens iron and another man sharpens another. No matter what, if Peyton was out, if I was out, Brock comes in, Shaq comes in, Shane Ray comes in. I mean, we had a plethora of guys and experiences that we got to have. And like, to me, it was truly God's country. Like people don't understand when you go up there and you are in those mountains, you release a lot. And for me, I was just divorced, right? And I'm like, you know what? I need some reset. And going up there to Denver, it helped me reset. Um, Look, again, I found my wife there. But then I got to win a championship, something that I always wanted that signified, that sort of solidified my career and said, you've done it. You have achieved it. And now you can move on. What was the difference between the Broncos organization and the Cowboys organization to you. Was there anything that stood out? Um, The two organizations, when you um, think about leaders, right? There were 20 leaders on the Dallas Cowboys. T.O., I mean, you name it, Romo, Witten, me. We had um, amazing players, right? But there were no Indians, the little small guys that keep the glue together. Mm. And Mm. then I went to Denver. It was Peyton Manning as the leader. You got Vaughn Miller. You got a lot of the other guys that played, but they needed one more guy on defense. And when I went there, it was me and it was Peyton. Mm. And we had a lot of guys that were the glue that could have been leaders, but took on the role of we are going to be guys that do whatever you tell us to do. And they were young too, like the fiery guys. Like we, I mean, you go into the locker room where you got pool tables and video games. I walk in there like, what the hell? What, what, what is this? But then I found out how close those guys were. When you looked over there, I knew about their wives. I knew about their kids. I knew about why they played. And I knew about their problems. That made us all play harder for each other. That's what's, what's the difference. 
Mm. Interesting. Yeah. You know, you're going to be a teammate here in the Pro Football Hall of Fame forever with Peyton Manning. Um, Yeah, which is amazing, right? Um, You're going to be the Pro Football Hall of Fame and be a teammate again with Peyton Manning. You're going to be a Hall of Fame teammate with Joe Thomas. Do you have any idea how close you came to becoming a teammate of Joe Thomas in Denver in the year 2015, Demarcus? You know that. You know the back end of it. I, I don't know. I mean, you how, don't know? No. We're going to have Joe Thomas on this podcast after you to tell the story. But you know what? Peyton Manning was encouraging Joe Thomas to go into the office of the general manager, basically, and um, force his way out of town. Okay? What? He was trying to yeah, – and, and trying to do it in a way that Charles Haley – once forced his way out of San Francisco. Are you familiar with that story? Yes, I'm familiar with that story. <laughs> I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I did not know that, man. Yeah, and and as I'm going to tell Joe Thomas here in a moment, when we have him on after you, I was waiting at the deadline, and there was a reporter for ESPN who filed a story to the news desk saying that Joe Thomas had been traded to the Denver Broncos before I said, hold on, it's not – done yet do not put that story out and it was that close though where joe thomas was almost your teammate in 2015 and almost celebrated a super bowl with you was that was that the year that um ryan ryan clayton yeah, yes sir toward at acl yep you didn't Did know I, this see no i didn't you know what dude imagine just imagine this me and Joe Thomas playing on the same team. We won the Super Bowl together, and we're in the same induction class. What? That, that's I mean, me being in the same class as him right now it is amazing, right? I mean, I, I remember those battles and playing against him up there in Cleveland. I mean, phenomenal player. I hated to play against him. I know he hated to play against me, too. He says the same thing, but that was yeah. a battle for sure every single time we played. You, know, you can bring that up to him in Canton this week and oh, say we, we were almost teammates because it it did almost happen to Marcus. I'm going to talk to him. I didn't know that. I'm going to talk to him about that when I see him. Oh, yeah. You, you'll, have, you'll have a lot to talk about. Now, what will be the message that we get from your speech without giving too much away to Marcus? I think one of um, gratitude, humility, but also I want people to be motivated for change, no matter what environment you're in, your environment does does not dictate dictate your choices. The choices that you make with what you have, you can get to where you need to be. I think that's like that main thing that I try to tell these younger kids right now. They feel like they got to be in IMG. They got to go to the SEC. You don't. Whatever door opens up for you, you go through that thing 100% because it's going to lead you to another one. You know, DeMarcus, I think you missed your calling in life. I know you're going into the Hall of Fame here, and you're going to be immortalized there. But I don't know how you're not in broadcasting today. Listen, how did you not get in? How did listen, you not come into this field? Holla at your boy. Somebody just got to call me. You got you got my number. Ninety four ninety four is at the end of my number. You got it. Look a brother up. I'm right here with you. You just holler at me. Wait, you, you, so you want to do it? You want to do it? I do it. No, hands down, I would do it. If I can sit right here and talk like you, meaning openly, where you don't have to always read every single thing and say, hey, this is who you have to be, let the person be the person. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I can understand, but a personality is a personality. Don't water the personality down. When did you, you ever try to, did you ever try to do it post-career? I try, I tried it a little bit, but you know, the opportunities were a little slim at the time. Um, yeah. But if opportunities open up, I am wide open to them. And listen, I'm, I'm ready to have a good time. Well, you know, DeMarcus wears back on the scene. He's now a Hall of Famer. He's going to be up there. He's got a whole platform. Like, there Hello? you go. I see that. Nobody's calling me yet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, DeMarcus, thank you very much for making time for me today. Congratulations on a great career. It was quite a journey getting to watch you selected with the 11th pick in the 2005 draft as I was in Radio City Musical to where we are today. We will be watching you in Canton, Ohio and applauding you from afar. Listen, man, I, I want to thank you so much. And I, I just want to let you know this. I can turn this camera off and I can hear you talk and I know it's you. So <laughs> and man, you do an amazing job with what you do um, and just, you know, keep doing your thing, man. DeMarcus, I truly appreciate you. You're the man. No doubt. Thanks. Is that guy not a Hall of Famer in every sense of the word? He was an incredible player, DeMarcus Ware was. A guy with 138 and a half career sacks, which ranks ninth all-time, helping Denver win Super Bowl 50 with the Broncos in 2015, and now he is immortalized in the halls of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now on to another Pro Football Hall of Famer, the number three overall pick in the 2007 NFL Draft, where he went on to become one of the greatest left tackles in NFL history, a man who spent all 11 years of his NFL career in Cleveland and now moves down the road to Ken, Joe Thomas. There is the Hall of Famer. There he is himself right there. Almost. Soon to be. <laughs> Soon to be. Well, first of all, Joe, thank you very much. I really appreciate mm-hmm. the time. Yeah, my pleasure. How do you feel about this whole week ahead and all the festivities that you're about to go through, especially when they slot you as the cleanup hitter of the night in the last speaking slot? Yeah, a lot of pressure. Uh, you know, part of me is like, well, hopefully there's a few people that have fallen asleep and uh, they're not listening, <laughs> so there's no more pressure on me. Maybe a few people have left. Uh, but it is kind of cool thinking that, as a Cleveland Brown, you know, I played all my home games an hour down the road, and there's so many fans of the Cleveland Browns throughout Canton and all of Northeast Ohio that it's going to feel a little bit like a home game there uh, when I finish with the speeches. It's your last home game of the, your career, Joe. That's right. There you go. Right? I got to suit it up one more time. How, how do we get ready for this last home game, for this speech? How much preparation has gone into this, and what are you hoping – to capture that night? Yeah, for me, I'm just hoping to capture the gratitude that I have for all of Ohio, all of the Cleveland Browns fans, the Wisconsin Badger fans, and all the people, friends and family that um, were part of that process of me becoming an NFL Hall of Famer. It's great being able to kind of do some of these interviews uh, and talk about my career and be reflective of all the people that were really special to me that helped me get to this moment on uh, the edge of being an enshrined member of the NFL Hall of Fame, including those coaches from grade school when I started in seventh grade and middle school, high school. Um, and then obviously the great coaches that I had in college in the NFL and the great teammates that were along for the ride with me. You bring up some of those coaches and any one of us in any journey that we take leans on the support of others. So what specifically comes to mind as some of the turning pivotal points of your life that enabled you to become the all pro tackle and hall of fame player that you are now about to become? I think Jim Huber, who was my offensive line coach in college for my first three seasons, great offensive line coach, put a bunch of guys in the NFL, a bunch of first round picks. I think he was really pivotal because he taught me the basics and uh, basically beat me over the head with the basics because he was a tough coach. Uh, His attention to detail was unmatched, but he was great. He's exactly who I needed because I really had played offensive line, but didn't really specialize in offensive line because I played every position in high school. And so having somebody who was a stickler for the details, who was tough, who forced you to work your butt off, um, who kind of gave you that blue collar mentality, I think. He was the guy that really started it for me and kind of started me down that process of being a perfectionist, being obsessed with the work, being obsessed with um, the detail of every single block and every single step that you make. How many people you have coming out this week, Joe? 
So I think there's like 350 ish. So it's going to be pretty large, wow. but, um, wow. You know, it's funny because you, as you can imagine on the doorsteps of the hall of fame, a lot of people are coming out of the woodwork asking for invites and I'm like, <laughs> Hey, we're friends. Like, I love you. Don't get me wrong, but I've got 3,500 contacts in my phone. I'm sure chef D you've got 35,000, but I'm like, I like all those people too, but I could only invite 10% of them because we just didn't have enough tickets. It does the number become even larger because you played for the Cleveland Browns or does that have nothing to do with it? Yeah, honestly, the number of invitees is got to be probably five or six times more than your average Hall yeah. of Famer because I played for nine offensive coordinators in the NFL alone. I had six Not head coaches. Wow. I had two two owners. So just thinking about those numbers right there alone, and then you think about, okay, every time you switch coaches, there's a huge amount of turnover on your roster. So like the yeah. the core players that are on that team are switching over a lot, and you make so many great friends along the way um, <laughs> year of your NFL career, whereas a lot of guys that make the Hall of Fame, they're probably on some successful teams. I think back to like Michael Irvin and Troy Aikman, a couple guys that I worked with at NFL Network and, and Fox doing Thursday Night Football, and like their core was – pretty much together their entire career. So it's right. pretty easy to say, like, okay, these guys are the most important. And then, you know, you probably have a couple offensive coordinators, maybe a couple head coaches, but it's pretty easy to kind of tighten the circle right there. But for me, I, I don't know how many guys I played with, probably thousands, just in the NFL alone. And then you think back to, like, including the guys that were really important in high school, really important to you on your college team. Uh, it's pretty easy to get that number up, well over a 1,000. So it took a long time to be able to just narrow it down to the available tickets that we had. <laughs> well, that's part of the issue with playing with an unstable or unstable franchise, yeah. as you did, which, which leads me to a question I've been very curious about. There's a story out there that during the 2015 offseason, Peyton Manning called you and informed you that the Broncos were interested in trading for you and he mm -hmm. wanted you to force your way out of Cleveland. What happened during that recruitment process, Joe? So it's interesting. It, it actually happened right before the trade deadline. So this would have been like October during that season because yep. Ryan Clady was their all pro left tackle. He'd been injured. I think he tore his uh, patellar tendon or his Achilles. And so they were looking for a replacement because obviously they had a roster that went on to win the Super Bowl, but they were like, Hey, Peyton, you're not exactly uh, a, a spring chicken anymore. <laughs> so we need somebody that's really solid that can block on your blind side. And so they kind of went back and forth with the Browns for a while. I think they found some reasonable trade compensation, but it was one of those things where I think Sashi Brown, Ray Farmer, maybe were GM president at the time. And I think, uh, there was potentially a lot more downside of trading me since I was the longest tenured member and had, you know, some fair, fair amount of popularity within the Browns fan base. And so, uh, even though I think the draft compensation was fair, there was some trepidation about making that deal and being the one that, you know, sent me out of town. Um, and so I think what happened was Peyton realized like, Hey, the deal's there. Elway thinks it's fair. We, everybody thinks it's fair, but it's not going to happen unless Joe does something very drastic. And, uh, you know, it's not like I had a no trade clause or anything like that, but it was just a matter of, Hey, Joe, I think you should go up to your GM's office and, uh, make a stink. Literally. I want you to go up there and pull your pants down and make a stink on his desk because that's the only way Cleveland is going to trade you. That's the only way you're going to be able to get out of town. And Hey, by the way, buddy, you're my drinking buddy from the Pro Bowl, and I think we could win a Super Bowl this year. And you know what? He ended up winning the Super Bowl that year, so it wasn't wrong about the team that they had. But I'm really happy to be able to play my entire career uh, for the Cleveland Browns fans. 
I, I believe Charles Haley actually did that in San Francisco. To <laughs> well, maybe that's where he got Dallas. it from. <laughs> I think that's where he got it from. But how close did it wind up coming that you would have been traded to Denver that year and you would have won a Super Bowl, Joe? Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, I think it was close because it seemed like the trade compensation was fairly appropriate. From what I'd heard through the Cleveland Browns beat writers was that it was like a first round pick and a player or a first round pick and a third round uh, pick. And so from where I was in my career with my value as a left tackle with my contract, I guess if you looked at some type of trade charts or you pulled the GMs, they'd probably say hey, that's a pretty fair compensation for a guy like in his sixth or seventh season at that point. Um, so I, I think it was probably pretty close, to be honest. I don't know. You'd have to talk to those guys yeah. directly, Elway and um, Sashi and, and Ray Farmer, to see like how close it really was. But they definitely were very close to being able to have that agreement. You know, it's interesting. I remember the trade deadline that year, and I remember literally sitting at my desk at about 4 o'clock Eastern, waiting to get the word that yeah. you had been traded to Denver. And I think yeah. there was even a reporter out there, if I'm not mistaken, that reported that the deal mm. was done. In fact, no, what I remember, somebody filed, one of the ESPN reporters filed to the desk mm. a story that the trade was done, it was official, mm. and I replied all, hold on, it is <laughs> not done, yeah. the trade is not official, wait. Somebody actually filed, and I actually no kidding. saved somebody, saved the reporter mm. from being inaccurate on that story because <laughs> they filed the story to this saying the trade was done. It didn't go through. Did you ever mm. think what it would have been like as you were watching the Super Bowl that year to have been a part of that, Joe? You know, I've never let my mind kind of wander down the path of what ifs because of, you know, playing on a team that doesn't have a lot of success early on. I was lucky fortunately, to play for a bunch of Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells' disciples. And those guys were the masters of being able to say, don't worry about what you don't control. And when you're on a losing team and you're the left tackle, it's easy to get bogged <laughs> down with scores and records, but that's only going to affect your job and your ability to be at your best. And so I never really let my mind wander and say, oh, what happens if I would have played for Peyton and won a Super Bowl? Um, but I will say that like when the rumors or – the uh, factual information was coming out that the Browns and the Broncos were talking to each other. Yeah. I mean, my wife and I were like, Hey, we need to look for places to live. So we were actually going on Zillow and looking for potential houses. And I know my wow. agent's from Denver. So he was kind of telling me where guys live. So I was trying to get myself prepared in the event that I was traded um, wow. because I didn't want to be caught off guard right in the middle of the season. It was obviously a lot of stress and I wanted to be, at my best, playing my best football, no matter where I was, I didn't want to be caught off guard by that. 11 seasons, eight All-Pro selections, 10,363 consecutive snaps without missing a single one. When you look back at your NFL career, Joe, what stands out to you that leaves you feeling most proud? Yeah, I think it's that consecutive snaps record. Um, obviously, being the first in the NFL to do something like that gives me a lot of pride. But thinking about that number, to me, it represents the number of times that I showed up for my teammates. Because, mm. you know, left tackles, we're not scoring a lot of points, not catching a lot of passes, not taking a lot of handoffs. But what I can do is go out and be a great servant to my teammates to give them the opportunity to be the stars, to be the ones catching touchdowns and throwing touchdown passes. Um, and for me, my entire goal, my entire sports life was, I just want to be a great teammate. I want to be part of a great team. I want to enjoy what it feels like to be one member of this team doing 
absolutely your best, whatever that looks like. One fifty second, one fifty third, one fifth of the offensive line, one eleventh of the offense. And so that's what I always strive for. And through terrible weather, which occasionally happens in Cleveland, you know, sometimes it's raining and snowing and sleeting <laughs> in December. And sometimes it's really stinking hot in, in September uh, through a lot of injuries, through some surgeries in the off season. Like I made it my priority to be there for my teammates. And that's what that number represents. And I've got a lot of pride in that. Refresh my memory. How did that streak end Joe? So I tore my left tricep tendon in uh, year 11 in the middle. I was actually ah. blocking Brian Arakpo, um, and we had just a little inside zone, very routine to my direction, and I went to kind of toss him towards the end of the play, and as soon as I threw him, I felt my uh, tricep tendon pop, and I laid on the ground. And it was weird because your tendon apparently doesn't have a lot of nerve endings in it. So it didn't really hurt, right. but I just had no more function in my arm. And so I kind of knew right away what it was. You're like Cal Ripken's streak is safe. My streak is over, right? <laughs> Not going to be able to play anymore. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, I think about this now. I watched you at Wisconsin. I remember covering you at the NFL draft. It's just another event that makes me feel old. You didn't go to the draft. You decided to go fishing that day, which became mm. legendary. I remember tracking you, nearly being traded, logging all those snaps in Cleveland, the street there, now being selected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I have to say, from afar, it has been an honor to get to watch you, a pleasure to get to know you in the small way that I have, and I congratulate you on a historic career and a lifetime achievement here of being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame and achieving the immortality that you now have, Joe. Well, I appreciate that, Shefty. It's been my pleasure being along the ride with you and uh it does make me feel a little bit old now thinking that man it's been like 16 years since well, that draft day when i was on a boat catching some trout and salmon on lake michigan yeah that, that, i mean i think about like that was like a big deal when i covered yeah. that draft and now that guy who was spurning showing up at radio city music hall <laughs> is being inducted into ken it's crazy to think how fast it all goes that's right. That diva who refused to go to New York and be in front of all those cameras and being on that stage. I can't believe he ever made it in the NFL. Diva Joe, I really appreciate you awesome. taking the time today. Thank you very much. Congratulations on the selection. We'll be watching you once again. Awesome. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Adam. And there is the eight-time All-Pro offensive tackle who played once again 10,363 consecutive snaps in the NFL before ever missing a single snap. And just think about what it would have been like if Joe Thomas had wound up in Denver, protecting Peyton Manning's blindside, helping the Denver Broncos win a Super Bowl. Instead, he spends his entire career in Cleveland and really had an unbelievable career but didn't enjoy postseason success, unfortunately for him. But he will have his moment of glory this upcoming weekend being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, along with Zach Thomas, Ken Riley, the great DeMarcus Ware, who we spoke to, Joe Klecko, Chuck Halley, Darrell Rivas, Don Coriel, Rondé Barber, and again, Joe Thomas himself. All right, we had a moment last weekend on Back Together Weekend, what the NFL refers to as Back Together Weekend, where on the first Saturday where every NFL team is in training camp, they have ESPN... ABC, cover training camp, wall-to-wall, morning till late in the afternoon. And so 
Sometime in the second show when we were broadcasting on ABC from 1 to 3, me, Louis Riddick, Dan Orlovsky, Field Yates were sitting at the main desk in the ESPN Chris Berman, Tom Jackson studio. And I had my Instagram page open and I was scrolling for some news, an update on something that I was looking for. And somehow, instead of like moving the whole screen up, I happened to click the page of one Jane Slater, the NFL Network reporter, who happened to be posting that day a video about her crashing into a tackling dummy and falling. And by the way, I think she might have suffered a concussion on the play. But she attached a song to that video called Ring My Bell. Now, I've not heard that song in a long time. But I will never forget that song. Because here's what happened as it unfolded live on ABC Saturday afternoon. Struggles. How he responds to it ultimately... We'll tell you the story on it, but I, I think it's going to be smooth sailing. Be really interesting to watch. As Shefty mentioned, it's been three and a half decades of greatness from the Packers. Shefty turns out that Shefty's uh, ringtone is ring. No, it's it's not Shefty. Shefty, you can ring that bell. It won't stop. Go to break. So let me explain what happened there. I literally could not shut it off, as I said there on ABC, for everyone else to hear. And usually you just flick off the app or click it up or whatever it is. I don't know what was going on there. I still haven't figured it out, but it would not shut off. Now, we're getting all sorts of suggestions, like Ring My Bell should be my fantasy team name, and Ring My Bell is my new favorite song, and now I have other friends texting me other requests like, next show, would love to hear, call me maybe. All sorts of texts and messages coming in about Ring My Bell, so I guess I want to indirectly thank, or no thank, Jane Slater for posting that little video. I want to thank my technological incompetence for not being able to scroll through Instagram cleanly for something that I was looking for and instead hitting that video which triggered that music which created that viral moment of embarrassment for me yet the latest one. It was a wild scene on Saturday. All right, hopefully we will not have any other issues this week and we will continue to get ready for the Pro Football Hall of Fame speeches this upcoming weekend and it'll be great to hear Two of the men that we had on today, we want to thank both of them. What great guests they were, what great careers they had. Thank you to Demarcus Ware and Joe Thomas. Also want to thank my great producers, Christina Buswell and Sarah Abbott, for putting together this podcast, and you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we'll be back in this space with more information, insights, and interviews. Until then, have a great week, be well, and stay safe. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. 
One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.